If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of uh, Esther, found on page 489. We're going to be reading uh, chapter 9 and, and chapter 10. Esther 9, starting at verse 1. Now in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, and the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Xerxes to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. All the officials of all the provinces and the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews, for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces, for the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and did and did as they pleased to those who hated them. In Susa, the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, and also killed Parashnatha, and Dalphon, and Aspatha, and Poratha, and Adalia, and Aradatha, and Parmashta, and Arasea, and Aradea, and Bastha. <laughs> The ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, but they laid no hand on, on the plunder. That very day, the number of those killed in, in Susa, the citadel, was reported to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, in Susa, the citadel, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men, and also the ten sons of Haman. What then have they, what then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what further is your request? It shall be fulfilled. And Esther said, If it pleases the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow also to do according to the day's edict. And let the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. They were already dead. So the king commanded this to be done. A decree was issued in Susa, and the ten sons of Haman were hanged. The Jews who were in Susa gathered also on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and they killed three hundred men in Susa, but they laid no hands on the plunder. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they laid no hands on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made that a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the 13th day and on the 14th and rested on the 15th day, making that a day of fasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who live in the rural towns hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day of gladness and fasting, as a holiday, and as a day on which they send gifts of poor, of food to one another. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in the provinces of King Xerxes, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar, and also the 15th day of the same year by year as the days on which the, the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been um, 
turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted the, what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pur, that is, cast lots, to crush and to destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that this evil plan that had been devised against the Jews should return on its own head, and that he, had his, he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore they called these days Purim, after the term Pur. Therefore, um, because of all that was written in the letter, and of what they had faced in this matter, and of what happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them, that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written and at the time appointed every year. And these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city, and that the days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among the descendants. Um, Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, and Mordecai, the Jew, gave full written authority confirming um, the second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of um, Xerxes in, in words of peace and truth, that these days of Purim should be observed as their appointed seasons, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them, and as they had been out, and as they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to the the feasts and their lamenting, their fasts and their lamenting, the command of Queen Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. King Xerxes imposed tax on the land and on the coastal lands of the sea, and all the acts of his power and might and the full account of uh, the high honor of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Medes and in the the Chronicles of the kings of Medes and, and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitudes of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people." When I was a teenager, high school was not a good experience for me. There was a, a group of uh, kids on the wrestling team that enjoyed picking on me and, and beating me up for about two years until they graduated. I remember after a pretty good thrashing, I finally told my dad about it. And his advice was the next time they come after you, Pick the smallest guy and just beat the snot out of him and you'll be fine. Yeah, that wasn't real good advice. I can tell you that. Um, It didn't work out and uh, the biggest kid in that group, he then really took joy in making my life miserable after that. The next morning, though, when my dad went to work, um, he happened to tell one of his co-workers um, who had driven his truck the night before and uh, his friend kind of surprised him. Now, you've got to keep in mind, this, this guy was huge. Um, he looked like a linebacker on a football team. That's how big he was. And, and, and what he said to my dad surprised him. And uh, he says, you may not know this, but um, when I'm not working here, I'm driving a truck. He goes, I work part-time for the mob. And he says, uh, 
boy, it sounds like your kid needs some help. He says, just tell me who this kid is, give me his address, and uh, I'll, I'll break a leg, break an arm, anything you want. Just, just let me know. The next morning, I mean, that night when my dad got home, he, he, he told me this. And, and my dad should have just said, no, that's not good, we shouldn't do something like this, but he didn't, he left it up to me. And so for two weeks, I struggled with that. Now, you've you got to know, I hated, that, I hated that group of kids, and I hated that one kid especially. I mean, I was tired of getting beat up and, and picked on, and, and I wanted revenge in the worst way. I wanted revenge like you wouldn't believe. And so for two weeks, I, I struggled with this. And uh, finally, uh, the whole time, the Lord was just working on my heart through the Holy Spirit, um, convicting me that this was not a good thing to do. And I remember uh, one night before I went to bed, um, getting on my knees and, and, and asking God for forgiveness for my hatred, for uh, this kid especially, and, and also forgiving him for what he had done. Not that I actually ever said that to him, but before God, I had forgiven him. And, and it's amazing the joy and the peace that suddenly filled my heart after I did that. Where I was struggling to sleep for the last week and a half, two weeks, suddenly I could sleep again. And uh, it was such a relief. You might be wondering in, in your mind right now, well, what happened to him then? I mean, because what I literally did was when I, I prayed for uh, this young man, um, I, I prayed that the Lord would handle things, that he would take it from me, that he would bring justice, because I couldn't do it myself. That was part of the peace that, um, that filled me because of that. And, and I wish I could say I saw a change in him, and uh, he graduated soon, thankfully. Um, and I never found out really what happened to this, this guy, but you know what, it's really not important either. Because I had surrendered it to the Lord, and now it was in God's hands. And I trusted that God would do what was right and what was good, and he would bring justice. Have you ever wanted to get revenge on someone who was making your life miserable? I think we all have to a point. It's a powerful emotion that can easily consume us. What doesn't help is we live in a culture that, that really uh, emphasizes the, the importance of getting revenge. You see it all the time. Um, you see it on the movies. Um, you see it at the theater. Um, we're a revenge-loving culture. And you can even hear it in, in songs that, that play on the, on the radio. Hollywood, they make a lot of movies each year that kind of have that theme as the storyline. Some person getting revenge and then what happens as a result of that. Now there's nothing wrong with wanting justice. Make that clear. There's nothing wrong with wanting justice. We hear this theme over and over in the pages of Scripture. But when we take justice into our own hands, when we try to do it in our own strength, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. Because what motivates us is not the love of Christ. What motivates us is, is hatred, is getting even. And that never works out. I mean, we know in the end that Christ will bring justice, that he'll repay people for the, the wrong, the evil that they've done in the world and they've done to us. 
But the question is, what are we supposed to do in the meantime? And I think that's a question that every generation must face. I'm sure the Jews in, in the days of Esther had to face that question just like we have to face that question too in, in the things that we're facing even as a country. You know, I wonder if the Jews struggling with uh, wanting to, if they struggled with wanting to get revenge. Keep in mind what had been going on. I mean, they were exiles living in a foreign land, and, and when you're in exile, you're not treated very nicely. But because they had been there for quite a while, and, and generations have gone past, they, they were starting to take root there. And, um, but still, there was a lot of anti-Semitism. And uh, what Haman, or Haman had been planning uh, to do to the Jews, that hung over their heads for all those months. And you can just imagine how when they finally got to the day when they could get justice, that they were pretty excited about it. I mean, their enemies were planning on exterminating them, those who were um, the followers of, of Mordecai. They wanted to exterminate the Jews. And uh, knowing that, you can just imagine how that raised up a lot of uh, feelings in, in the Jewish people. But thankfully, the, the king's new edict turned the tables on this and Listen again to the permission that the king gave the people. Um, we read this last time in verse 13. A copy of what was written was issued as a decree in every province, being publicly displayed to all peoples, and the Jews were to be ready on, the day, on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. To take vengeance on their enemies. They were also given permission to attack the families of their enemies. Now it's interesting that that word vengeance which means out-of-control passion based on hatred, and, and vindicate, which is seeking justice, is, is seeking to have our names cleared for God to watch over us. Um, it, it really comes from the same root word um, in the Hebrew. And the main difference between them is what motivates a person as they do it, whether it's done out of self-control or not. Usually when there's vengeance, it's not done out of self-control, but it's done out of hatred. And we know that that's wrong. While the Jews were given permission on the 13th day of Adar to bring vengeance on their enemies, yet, is that what they did? Notice what our text told us. While the people defended themselves, clearly they defended themselves against their enemies, yet they didn't go up and beyond that. They didn't take their enemies' property and possessions away. They also didn't kill the women and children as they had been given permission to do. They could have wiped out their enemies and their women and children. That was a common practice back then. You even see that in other books in, 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 in the Bible. But they chose not to do that. They took care of their enemies because they were a threat. But then I think you could say they showed mercy to the families of, of their enemies, the women and children, not taking their property, not taking their possessions so that they would be able to continue to live, that they wouldn't be destitute. I'm sure this didn't make sense to the Persian people. I mean, that the king had given them permission to do this. Vengeance. Kill their enemies, all of them. Wipe them out. Take anything that they wanted. And yet they didn't. 
And I'm sure they were, they were left scratching their heads, wondering what made them so different. I mean, it's clear they went on the, the offensive. It's clear they killed a lot of people, but again there, you have to keep it in perspective. 127 provinces, they killed 75,000 people, so that's about 600 people in each province. So clearly, they, they, they weren't going overboard. They, they were just literally trying to protect themselves. And I think the, the Persian people, this is part of the reason, and we said this last time, that they noticed the light, gladness, joy, and honor that filled God's people. And that's the reason why many converted to uh, Judaism, because they saw something different in, in the people. And through it all, God had vindicated his people. God had protected them. God had taken care of it. And he had provided for them in the most amazing way. And, and over and over, through the whole book of Esther, we see God moving and working behind the scenes. And, and at the end, you just stand back and say, wow, only God could have pulled off something like that. He was big enough and strong enough to provide for his people and to keep them safe. And just as we saw the people celebrating God's provision last time, we see them doing this again. The people are celebrating with joy what had happened. That's why Mordecai and Esther established the Feast of Purim. Of all the feasts that the, the, the Jews celebrate, this is the only one that was instituted by man, but blessed by God. All the other ones were, were given to them by God himself. Purim is a celebration reminding God's people how God had turned their sorrow into joy and, and saved them, literally saved them from annihilation. The name of the, the celebration, it, it comes from that word pur. Remember that um, Haman had, had used pur or the casting of lots or dice to figure out what was the best date to kill the Jews. And this was a long process because you had to do this for each day and 11 months went by and they finally settled on the month of Adar, on, on the, one of the days there. So I, I, I think as kind of a play on this, they, they, they chose that as, as part of the name of their new celebration that they were going to commemorate and celebrate um, from then on. I, I, I think for those of you who were here two weeks ago, you might rem- remember me talking about the, the Bull Weevil Monument. And I think for the Jews, that's kind of what this was. By taking that name, instead of it being a negative thing, it became a positive thing, where they reminded themselves that Haman could not stand against Yahweh. And so they even took that, that thing that was so important to him, and, and, and by using it, it was just a mockery of, of what he had been trying to do. As I read about the, 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 the joy, the laughter, the dancing, all that would have been part of this feast of, of Purim, even giving gifts to the poor. You can't help but think of Psalm 1, 126, verse 2, where, you, where the psalmist says, Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. I'm sure that's what the Persian people were thinking as they looked at the Jews. Clearly, their God was powerful to be able to protect them like this. You know, we live in a day and age where 
people, even Christians, we, we can be so focused on the negative. Do we really celebrate the gifts of the Lord? Do we celebrate things that he has done for us? Do we celebrate the gifts he's given to us as a country? Our nation? Do we celebrate those days or, or do we just kind of not really pay too much attention to it and just continue to go about our, our work? And You know, I, I think we've got to do a better job in learning to celebrate, to appreciate all that God has done for us, how he's blessed us. Listen to how one Christian writer puts this. The highest and most desirable state of the soul is to praise God in celebration for just being alive. Without perks, our lives are easily lost in the world of money, machines, anxiety, and inertia. Our poor, splendid souls, how they fight for food. They have forgotten how to celebrate. Our hurried, stressful, busy lives are unquestionably the most dangerous enemy of celebrating life itself. Somehow we must learn how to achieve momentary slowdowns and request from God a lighthearted awareness, a heightened awareness of the conception that life is a happy thing, a festival to be enjoyed rather than a drudgery to be endured. God's a God of joy, not sadness. We forget that sometimes. He wants to replace our tears of sadness with tears of joy. He wants to bless his people. And so really, God's people should be some of the happiest, the most happy people on the, on the face of the earth. But are we? Sometimes it really doesn't show, does it? In our faces, in our words, in the way we speak to others. We need to slow down and smell the roses. Though it's kind of hard to do right now, but still, you got the idea. To slow down and smell the roses. But for this to happen, we need to be willing to entrust God with our lives, our futures, our hopes, our dreams, our fears, everything. We need to be willing to surrender it to the Lord. Because if He's our defender and provider, if we really trust in Him, that He's got all things in His hands, even our lives, what do we have to fear? Why do we have to get revenge when we know that we serve a mighty God who can bring justice and so we just need to continue to live for the Lord and we need to continue to love to not return evil for evil the Bible says to love our enemies Mordecai and Esther knew that God's people they would have forgotten what God had done in two to three generations they would have forgotten all about what Mordecai and, and Esther had achieved. And, and so, to make sure that they wouldn't forget, that's why they, they established this celebration called Purim. And they wanted all the generations to follow um, to keep it. You know, and, and the reason for this is, again, because you can so easily forget. Look, look at our kids today in our country. A lot of them have no idea why we celebrate some of the holidays that we do because it's been a couple generations since it was established and we can so easily begin to forget. What about all the monuments the last couple of years that have been removed from cities all around the United States? You know, it's really sad 
Because while those monuments, um, some were positive, maybe some were negative, but yet still it, it reflected our history. And we need to learn from our history. We can't forget it. And by removing those monuments and, and hiding them somewhere, it doesn't do us any good. It's like the, the memorials that we see in Washington, D.C. You know, we need those. We, we need to be able to go there and pause and reflect and, and, and realize the great gift that we've been given, our, our freedom, our democracy, and that it was given to us at a great cost. Because again, it would be so easy to forget, wouldn't it? I remember some years ago watching Jay Leno. I know I'm dating myself, but remember when he did the, he walked on the streets and asked people questions? It was kind of humorous because sometimes people didn't really know a whole lot. Well, on this particular time, he was asking them questions about, about history. And he asked them first about World War I. He asked countless people, do you know about World War I? About when, when was it? People had no idea. Only one person gave an answer about World War I, but they, they, they thought it had something to do with oil. And no one had a clue that it was against Germany at the time. World War II, um, very few people knew the dates of that. They, they, they couldn't even tell you who was all involved in, in that battle and what it, was, what it was fought for. Jay Leno even talked about the Korean War. And some people, they didn't even know there, there was a Korean War, a war. And they didn't know that we had lost 40,000 Americans and about 100,000 um, people were wounded in the, in the Korean War. It's so easy to forget, isn't it? Just a couple generations. And, and that's what Mordecai and Esther were, were, were trying to prevent, that God's people would forget, that they wouldn't forget what, what he had done. And that's why it's so important that we don't forget either. You know, we have holidays that we celebrate as, as a church we can't forget them. We need to take the time to celebrate them because it's so important. It makes us thankful. It reminds us what a mighty God we serve. I remember one pastor in, uh, in New Mexico. He had a habit of every time he went through a, a, a difficult time in his life, there was a mesa behind the church and he would go up to the top and he would place a, a, a big stone on the ground, and he called it his prayer altar. And uh, over the years, while he was a pastor at, at that church, his prayer altar got pretty tall. Whenever God intervened in, in a miraculous way, he put a stone there. Whenever he went through a trial and, and God provided for him, he put a stone there. Even just that God was there at his side, giving him the strength to handle in whatever situation, he went up there and he put a stone on that pile. And it was a reminder to him of God's faithfulness. Now, he could have put those stones there and says, you know what, this is going to be a shrine to my failures. Shrine to my failures. This is how I've messed up. This is how I blew it over and over and over again. But why would we want to do that, especially if our God can take anything from our lives and bring good from it if we surrender it to him? That's what the Bible says. And so... Rather than make those shrines, we need to make memorials. And maybe some of you this morning, as you think back about your past, there's things that happened to you that, that were horrible, that were difficult, that were hard. Now, it would be easy to make a shrine about that and to always be looking back and looking back at that, but you know what? 
Our God has redeemed that, even something like that. And so we need to make it a memorial of God's faithfulness, how God provided for us. God was our strength, our help, that we didn't have to face it alone. What about you? Have the trials you've endured become memorials for each of you of God's faithfulness? Or are they holding you back? That's why we need even the memorial of communion, the Lord's Supper. We were commanded to keep it, right? Why? Because it would be so easy to forget. And so every other month or whenever we do it, it's a reminder to us of God's love, of God's faithfulness, of God's power, of God's gift of eternal life. That all our sins have been taken away. And we need to remember that. You know, there's so many churches in Europe right now that are just empty shells. You go there and, and you can visit them. They, they've turned into museums. They're huge. You can tell that great things were done there once upon a time, but now they're just museums. There's no church that's meeting there. See, they've forgotten their first love. And we have to guard against that, don't we? We have to guard against that, and that's why celebrations, memorials, they're so important that we remember that we might keep our eyes focused on God and we might remember the good gifts that he's, he's given us. Esther is a story of triumph and celebration that grew out of death. They were facing annihilation, and yet God turned it around and, and provided for them and kept his people safe. They had much to be thankful for, just as we have much to be thankful for. I hope it's evident in your lives, your gratitude, your thankfulness, your joy. Remember what I said earlier? We should be some of the happiest people on the face of the earth. We know how it's going to end. My daughter, she used to drive me crazy. Whenever she got a book, she would read the first chapter, and then she'd read the last chapter. And if the last chapter was bad, she wouldn't even read the book. Just forget it. We know how it ends. We're, go we're going home. We're going to heaven. The victory is ours in Jesus. We have nothing to fear. And so we should go about our, our lives with joy, doing the work of the Lord. Because it's not going to be very long until we hear him call our names. And we'll be home with him forever. But until then, I hope you might be able to say right along with Paul, forgetting what is behind and reaching out and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I'm going to press on for the prize, for the people, for his pleasure. May that be the goal of each of us as we live our lives for the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you for your faithfulness, for the way you watch over us, for the way you watched your people back in the days of Esther, the way you continue to do that today. Father, we don't have to fear as the world fears around us because we know that you are on your throne. You are sovereign and mighty and in control. And so, Lord, we look to you. Lord, help us to have that same joy that we see in, in, in these uh, Jews in, in the days of Esther, 
May we be able to celebrate your faithfulness. Lord, may we celebrate your faithfulness each Sunday as we come together, as we worship. But Lord, other times too, little moments, Lord, where we feel your presence, we remember your gifts, and it just makes us pause and want to worship you. Father, may this be a legacy we pass on to our children. May we never forget, Lord, of of your great love for us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.